This week was an interesting week for me because, uh, as many of you know, uh, we've been talking about this the last couple of weeks. We're moving towards, uh, you know, uh, creating a, um, a new environment, a new context in a new location, literally just 300 feet away from where we are here on Tecumseh, but an opportunity to really have a space where we can uh, use more, uh, linger in more, serve the neighborhood more. And this, this on Friday actually went and, you know, signed the offer to lease, like handed in their hand, you know? And uh, it was kind of, I, I was, I, yeah, yeah, it was good. It was really fun, fun, exciting, because it's like, wow, we get to do this, you know? And um, what was really interesting. I'm going to borrow Bethany Vibihau's word. A couple of years ago, she, she uh, was describing an event in her life, and she said, I'm kind of nervous and excited. And she said, I'm nurse-sighted. Said, I'm, nurse, I'm nurse-sighted. And, I, and, uh, and so, so that word is kind of stuck in my mind. And that was a little bit of how I felt like on Friday, uh, having to kind of just be a representative to sign this. And thinking about that, um, kind of the, the bigness of that, the finances in that, the responsibility in that. And it made me think about this question that I think applies to all of us, regardless of what we step into or what maybe uh, we're just responsible in that one moment. Uh, and it makes me think about where do we get that kind of confidence to create a future for the local church? We're talking about this particular moment. What gives us the confidence, the hope, the faith to create a new future together for local church mission here in our city? Like, what, what gives us that kind of foundation? What's it, what's it based on? And as I was thinking about, just for me personally, because I had the opportunity to, to do that in that moment, I thought, well, there's some data involved in that. We've looked at data. Uh, we've looked historically, you know, what we've done, where we've been, when we've risked, uh, proportionately how much we've risked. So there's some historical data in that. There's some financial numbers you work through and say, is this crazy? Is this possible? Is this more than possible? Uh, there's some leadership involved. There's some passion involved. There's different people involved. Uh, but ultimately, where do, you, where do you find hope or confidence to do that? And I think for any decision you make, even personally, any dream you pursue, anything the Lord lays on your heart or convicts you about, where do you ultimately place your hope in? Where do you ultimately place your hope in? And if life is going to be a life of meaning and purpose, what is your hope rooted in to actually give you the strength and courage to make that decision or to move forward? So I'm giving you the example of what we're walking through as a church and what I personally felt in that moment, but what does that mean for all of us? Even in those moments, God leads us, like Joseph sharing about just even leading to step into the Alpha and serve in some way or maybe to risk in some capacity. And I was reading this, um, I was reading this article from a, a doctor from Harvard. His name is Armand Nicolai. Pretty cool name. It doesn't be Joseph Frizzle, but it's a pretty cool name. And uh, he, he works in psychiatry at Harvard and his written many books and many articles, and 20 years ago, he already started to see the increase of depression in North American society. 20 years ago, in 1998, they started cataloging over 11 million people just in America deal- needing treatment, real treatment for depression, and the thousands, hundreds of thousands even, that, that consider um, taking their own life. And as I was reading his article and his words, he's making this point, and he made a really important point that he said, humanity's hope account is bankrupt. Humanity's hope account is bankrupt. And the well for hope is dry for people to draw from. And he pointed to a decreasing spiritual resources 
in a society that's increasingly becoming secular. He says there's decreasing spiritual resources in our increasing secular society. Is this prof from Harvard. Last week, we, we started this series on hope and Advent, uh, hope for the soul, hope for the city, with this, with this one line. We said, every soul hungers for hope, period. Every soul hungers for hope. But we also looked at Luke 15 and realized God's offer for hope is on the table for everybody. And God is like a father who runs to a son who's been lost and runs back. And like a father who runs to us, his offer for hope is on the table. But this week, I want to kind of ask the question, well, where do we anchor our hope? Like, if that's true, that every soul hungers for hope, and it's true that God's offer for hope is on the table, then how valid, how strong, how solid is his hope for you and me? I want to turn to Hebrews chapter 6, verse 13. Sorry, verse, yeah, verse 13. We'll start off there. And uh, this is just a passage in this larger book of Hebrews that uh, has some amazing things to teach us. In fact, we walked through this whole letter, I think it was a year or two ago, I think a couple of years ago. But here's these few verses from chapter 6 that I think help us answer this question. If we have hope and God's offer for hope is on the table, where is it anchored in? So here's verse 13. When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. People swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. Well, because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. And God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. And it enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Let's just pray. Father, um, we just pray with thankfulness hearing Joseph's story. We anticipate some of the stories we're going to hear in the couple of months to come from people who have grown in their spiritual journey, from skeptic to seeker or from seeker to believer. We say thank you for that. And God, we lift up the harders even as is their last week here. We thank you for our, our journey together. We lift them up to you in prayer. And God, as we enter this scripture this morning and, and just ask this question, God, please lead us, guide us, speak to us, especially for some today um, who are just looking for an anchor for hope. And many of us who long to offer it and want to know how and where our hope even lies in deeper ways. So we pray this, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. I mean, the core of this text, the core of this thought here in Hebrews 6 is, is really the foundation for hope. The whole book, when you read Hebrews, points to a better something, a better hope, a better future, a better faith, uh, a better priest, uh, you know, a better sacrifice. And it all points to Jesus, who's really the climax of the book of Hebrews and the climax of the biblical story. Verse 19, for me, is one of my favorite verses here. It's the center core of this hope. Verse 19 says, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. Man, that's a big statement. 
That's a big statement. We have this hope. You have this hope. I have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. You know, this is the only time the New Testament uses the word anchor as a metaphor for the hope we have. The only time in the New Testament it uses this word. In ancient literature, people like Plato or Plutarch or or, or Lucidus or these people that I'm sure you read yesterday morning when you woke up. um, In ancient literature, they had they had used the word anchor. Uh, to give a sense of steadiness to life as a metaphor that we want our life to be a life of steadiness or stability. And they use that word anchor often as a, as a metaphor for that. Here's the first time we see it used in the New Testament. And it's amazing because, I mean, I think we all know what an anchor does. I mean, I, I don't, I'm not a boat person. I'm not a nautical person, but kind of know what an anchor does. It keeps ships from moving. And one of the biggest anchors I've ever seen is the one in Old Montreal. Have you guys passed by that one when you're, when you're walking towards the water kind of from the square? And have you guys seen that, that one? You guys know how many people take pictures of it, stand beside it, inside it, on top of it, kids hovering everywhere. It's a huge thing. I mean, it's a huge anchor. It's not an anchor for your little sailboat. It's not an anchor for a canoe, obviously. Would kind of like wipe that out of the water. It's an anchor for a big boat. Like, I don't know how big the boat has to be to use an anchor like that, but it's huge. And it keeps these big boats secure. When they park or when they stay in the port or when they have to stay out even out farther off from the shore, from the currents and the waves and the winds and the storm, and an anchor has one job, right? One job. Keep the boat from moving. Just one job. Keep the boat safe Keep the boat secure. And as big and heavy as those anchors are, an anchor is only as good as the ground it hooks into, right? Like if an anchor just doesn't hook onto anything and it just kind of slides on the the, the bottom of the sea or the bottom of the the water, it doesn't really hold. And an anchor is only as good as the ground it hooks into. So last week we talked about the fact that every soul hungers for hope. But that's only as good as where your hope is hooked into, right? We can't just talk metaphorically or optimistically about hope and just hopeful that something's going to happen, hopeful that the pieces of the puzzle are going to come together, hopeful that I'm going to get downtown in 25 minutes when I know I'm going to hit traffic on the carry and the Turcotte. By the way, this week, I don't know what happened. I made it downtown in 23 minutes, actually. I was shocked. That was like a, a real, uh, it, was, it was a blessing. But normally be like, it's, you just know, Right? Like, you can be hopeful, you can be optimistic, you can think it's going to happen, you can convince yourself, but your hope is only as good as what it's hooked into. So how solid is this hope for the soul that the scriptures talk about? Because Christian hope is uniquely different. Christian hope is not just an optimistic dream. It's a stand, it's a posture that we trust and believe that God is working all things out. And Hebrews 6 fills us in. It helps us understand where our hope is anchored. And it talks about two things. And and these words might be simple, but they're really embedded in this text. And one is God's promise, and the other one is God's presence. One is God's promise, and the other one is God's premise. To think about God's promise, it's really saying what, like to put our trust in what God says. When we talk about a promise, we're saying you can trust what God says. And Hebrews 6 helps us understand that if our hope is rooted somewhere, is is really hooked into something solid, it's hooked onto a promise that we can trust what God says. And the author of Hebrews 6 kind of brings us back to the story of Abraham. 
this biblical story early on in the Old Testament, this key figure of Abraham. And many people know who Abraham is, but if you're unfamiliar, I mean, God revealed himself to this guy in um, you know, the ancient Near East, whose life was completely you know, off of what God was up to at the moment. And he reveals himself to Abraham, and he begins to actually say, I'm going to use this guy, Abraham, to start the renewal process, the redemption process, the restoration process for the world. If you imagine the world is just a mess of brokenness, like I open a can of Smarties and I drop them all over the floor and you're like, oh my gosh, how are we going to pick this up? And God picks up one Smartie and says, here's Abraham, I'm going to start with you. That's kind of like what is happening in the biblical story. And he begins to work with Abraham and begins to reveal himself to Abraham. Of course, he continues with Israel and then the climax of Jesus and, and, and through the church. But it's all part of God's plan. But he starts with Abraham and there's one promise to Abraham. I will make you into a nation and into a blessing for the nations, other nations. I mean, that took a lot of faith for this guy, Abraham. And that, like, we know the story. So we could say, smart move, Abraham. But like, Abraham on this side of the story, who are you? I've, what, your voice sounds different than the cultural voices. Um, I know the little gods on my dad's workbench, but I don't know you. And Abraham takes this step of faith as God reveals himself to him and makes this promise that Abraham will actually be a foundation for hope for the world. And Hebrews uses his story to tell us God's made promises, and you can trust what God says. In fact, if you go to Genesis chapter 22, you read the story that Hebrews 6 is referring to, this story that that one of God's promises has been fulfilled. God promised Abraham a son, even though he had a barren wife. And decades later, this son is born. And so one promise is fulfilled, but then God says, I want you to sacrifice your son. And Genesis 22 tells us that story, this strange plot twist for sure if you're reading it, But regardless of what we think about the story, it tells us something about Abraham's faith and trust in God and about God's provision because God says, Abraham, don't worry. I'm going to provide this sacrifice, not you. And so this next promise, this next word of trust begins to to unfold. In fact, in Genesis 22, we read what happens in verse 16. I swear by myself, God says, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. And in Hebrews 6, verse 15, we read that the author says, look, God fulfilled his promise. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. Literally, it was a son. Historically, It was his son had 12 sons, and those 12 sons turned into a nation, and that nation was part of God's plan. And Jesus came out of that nation as the climax of God's story, the promise so the nations, the world, would see the light of God. This is part of this whole promise wrapped up into this one story. And the point is this, that Hebrews 6 is trying to make. You can trust what God says. You can trust his promises. I love what Numbers 23, 19 says, says, God is not human that he should lie. He's not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? And as the writer of Hebrews and the early church looks back to Abraham, they're saying, no, God is someone who keeps his word. 
we can trust what he says. I thought of it this way. It's a really simple phrase. You might even think it's cheesy, but I thought, God is not only able, but stable. It has a ring of cheesiness, I know, right? But, but there's some truth to it, right? God is not only able, but God is stable. He's not only able to do stuff, he's secure and solid and stable, and you can trust what he says. So hope is anchored in God's promises and what he says. When we ask the question, where would our hope be anchored in? What gives us this hope? It's anchored in what God says. Secondly, it's anchored in his presence. And not only you can trust what God says, you can trust who he is. Verse 19 and 20 um, say it like this. I love, I love as we just kind of continue in this. Verse 19 says, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure, It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. He, Jesus, has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And you're wondering, well, how does that give me an anchor? How does that help me understand? Why is this important? What is, how solid is this? So if we just kind of, you know, um, understand some of this context, Israel in the Old Testament built a temple and they believed and saw that God uh, dwelt a part of the temple, that God's presence was actually there. In fact, it wasn't even just the temple. It was a a small core part of the temple called the Holy of Holies, where they believed heaven and earth actually were, were there, met. And behind this curtain called the Holy of Holies, this place where he says, God is present here. In fact, there was someone called the high priest. Jesus is referred to the high priest here. But there was someone called the high priest in Israel. Once a year, not all the time, once a year, they would go behind that curtain. In fact, it was so intense, so serious, so filled with God's presence, they'd tie a rope to the, to, the, to the priest's ankle as the priest walked in because they're like, if he does anything that's not great in there, God's presence is so big and intense, I mean, we might have to pull him out. And this was like the intensity of God's presence in this moment. Special, delicate, serious. But Hebrews reminds us, as you read the whole book, that Jesus has become our high priest. And he has entered the Holy of Holies, God's very presence. Not not annually, he's just there all the time. And he makes a way for us to meet with God, not annually, all the time. In fact, later, Hebrews says, we can be confident now because we can enter God's presence because of God's grace. We can enter his presence with full confidence. Jesus enables us to do that. And, but here's the beauty of what this text is saying, that this hope that our soul is anchored in, it was, it was anchored in the inner sanctuary, this inner behind the curtain. What it's, the metaphor there is saying, This hope is actually anchored in God himself, in his presence, in God himself. That our hope is not just anchored in what God says. Our hope is anchored in who God is, his very presence, his very being. So why does that matter? Like, why why do you care about that tomorrow? Why does that matter for our faith and for our life and for our decisions? Because most of us, I don't know about you, I'll raise my hand, most of us want to base our life on something secure and solid, right? Um, and, and there's so many times that we're tempted in our culture to base our hope in other things, 
Um, I've been reading about like the Bitcoin phase, you know, the digital currency is like 5,000, 10,000, it's hitting 15,000, wait, there's a little bit more, and I mean, maybe it's cool, I don't know, maybe you've invested and you made some money, but I'm, but I'm thinking like at some point there's going to be something around that, that somebody invested too late, and then they're going to lose on it, you know, some people will make. We're always looking for something stable to put our lives into, but I, I know, here's my temptation, and maybe I'm the only one, and I'm the only vain one, I think we'll say I'm smart, I can figure this out. I've prepared myself financially. I have a decent savings account. I've made good decisions. I have experience. I've, I've messed up here, here, and here, and I've learned from that, and I'm going to act differently today. So you know what? I'm okay. I'm smart enough to navigate my life. It's solid enough. I don't need anything even more solid. This is solid. And if that's you, way to go. But have you ever fallen short, something fallen short beyond your control? You're like, I thought this through. I had all the numbers, the data, but it didn't go exactly as planned. My wife and I, three, four years ago, we purchased a car. It was our first Subaru ever. So we purchased a Subaru, and it was really, we were really excited because um, we had this whole thing planned out. We bought a six-month-old Subaru, and we were almost going to buy a three-year-old Toyota. And when we kept doing the math, like winter tires, no winter tires, a really better guarantee, not as much, less mileage, blah, blah, blah. So all the numbers between them started getting smaller and smaller. And here's what really led us to this. Our history led us to this because our two previous cars died with the transmission problem. And they both left us with almost nothing. And the last one that died really hurt me because... It was good. It was a TDI, and I knew. I thought we'd 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 drive this for four hundred thousand kilometers. It would have been awesome, and it died at like one ninety five. And I'm like, you know, I could have leased a car for the same amount of money for three years, and I would have been better off, right? And and so we just said, you know what? We're, we normally buy three or four years or, or older cars. Let's. We've done the math. We've done the research. This is a smart decision. Let's buy the Subaru, six months old. We buy the Subaru. Last year, I'm driving in the Laurentians, and a deer comes in front of me. And I'm like, oh, nice deer. Let me be careful. And then she jumps right in front of me, and I smash the deer. And, I'm, and, and the airbag goes off, and smoke's in the car, and I've never been in an accident like that. I've never been where an airbag went off, and I'm just thinking like the movies. There's smoke in here. I better leave it. This might blow up, you know? Um, it was only the airbag. And so, so I was just, just nervous, you know, or nearsighted maybe. But here, here, here's the thing. I mean, everything from like the radiator to my back light seemed okay, but the front of the car was finished and the airbag went off and insurance said, sorry, it's a total loss, total loss. So just makes me think there is nothing outside of God's promise and presence that is secure. Like, and I'm telling you, we did the math and we researched and we had the data and we had the experience and the history and knowing what we would do and we'd keep this car for 10 or 12 years and we'd, you know, get the full value out of it, but there's nothing outside of God's promises and presence that is solid and secure. And life teaches us that. But here's what's super exciting about being anchored in hope and in God's hope. And just a couple of things. One is, it drives, it, it drives us forward, right? Verse, verse 18, it's not on the screen, just listen. The, the author says, take hold of the hope set before you. Take hold of the hope set 
before you. That phrase means to turn from other things that you have your hope rooted in and turn to something different. Take hold of this hope that's now set before you. It's like if you were, if you ever seen these rescue missions, or maybe you've been part of this, I don't know, where, where someone's kind of on this apparatus or bridge and that's, you know it's going to collapse, you know it's going to collapse, you know it's going to collapse, and they're standing there, but now right in front of them is something more solid, something secure, maybe somebody who's there to save them with a vehicle or a helicopter. So what do they do? They take hold of the hope that's set before them, right? They move forward towards it. They, they hold on to it because it drives them forward because they realize this is going to fall. We don't always realize that in our life. I had no idea that morning that my Subaru would be totaled. I would have taken a different route. What can I tell you? But I didn't know. But when we know, right, we step forward. We grab hold of the hope set before us. Two years ago, my son and I went ziplining here in Rigo. It was super fun. And I'm afraid of heights, though, right? And uh, I, like, I can't even get on my roof. I get, start to get nervous, you know? And I, feel, I always feel kind of like guilty because my like 78-year-old uncle can get on a roof so easily and here I am kind of getting nervous, you know. But anyways, we're, we're, we're on the zip lining a trail that we're like 65 feet up in the air in a tree and so there's this, this next line of zip lining. If you've ever done it, sometimes you just zip but sometimes there's obstacles, right? So there's these pieces of woods that are all diagonal and, and as soon as you step on one, you really like skate like this and for me, that just freaks me out. Because like I'm already scared, and now this 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 piece of wood I'm stepping on is on these long rock, and I, my leg just goes. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna freak out. And my son is a he's already done it, right? He's already like done it, and I have these two 14 year old kids behind me that are like, what's your problem, old man? Hurry up! And I'm like, oh, wait. And so I'm freaking out. And, uh, but I, I start to kind of get my composure. I realize I have two clips here. I have a harness. They're on the rope. I'm not going to fall. You know, they always tell you, keep one clip clipped onto the zip lining apparatus. And, you know, and so, so I'm like, okay, I, I clip my clip and I follow the, 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 the whole like piece of wood to the other side. And I see it secure and it's connected to a tree, which seems pretty secure to me. And it's connected to the ground, which also seems pretty secure to me. So I start saying, you know what, Dave, you can do this. You can step forward. So I did. Slowly, slowly, you know, across, even skating a bit, I made it across because there was something that told me, you're going to be okay, right? This is solid. You can move forward. And so the, the sense of that solid um, foundation drove me forward. It helped me make that step. And when we realize what we're taking hold of in God, it drives us forward. It, it encourages us to move forward. It encourages us to know that we're not going to fall, that we're going to be okay, that yes, there can be mistakes along the way, but we're going to be okay. I love Romans 8, verse 38 to 39. Paul reminds us of this about the love of Jesus. He says this, and if you've never read this or you've only read it a little bit, memorize it. He says, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, Neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Isn't that an amazing promise? Isn't that an ama- doesn't that help drive you forward to make steps in Christ? Steps in your faith? 
steps in your life, when your life is based on God's promise and God's presence and what he says and who he is, you can, and here's a phrase I want you to remember, you can trust forward. You can trust forward. Sometimes you'll fail trusting forward. Sometimes it won't be exactly as you wish, but you can trust forward because of the solid ground that your hope is resting in. And here's this question. What's on the other side of that trust? What's on the other side of that trust? Verse 14 quotes the story in Genesis 22. I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And there's this idea that when Abraham trusted forward, when his new hope drove him forward, there was a blessing attached to it. It wasn't a blessing of wealth or prosperity or all things working out, but there was a blessing involved in, in Abraham's obedience to step forward. Now, do you think Abraham regretted trusting God? Do you think there was a day that went by that he regretted trusting God? Some people are saying no, and I'd say ultimately no, but you know what? I think someday, I don't know, isn't there ever days that you... Like, really, God? <laughs> I mean, the day that I'd say yes, he ultimately did. But listen to this. You think the day, like the year after year after year, the decade after decade when no kids showed up? Really, God? Like, I'm going to be 99. Is it, should I keep trusting? When he was tested because somebody, he was afraid that if they saw him and his wife in this certain area and he, he really betrayed his wife by kind of like letting her go off on her own, you think that wasn't a failure in his, in his walk? For sure it was. You think there was some days his hope wasn't tested or, or, or there was very little room for instant gratification? Like there was no one to press like on his post when he said, today I trusted God. Way to go, Abraham. No, there was no one to say that. There's no one to affirm his faith or his steps. There was little room for instant gratification. But he, perse- he persevered through it. He persevered through it. And I think ultimately, there was no regret. But in some days, there was probably doubts. And his whole life became a metaphor for trusting God. His whole life became a metaphor for trusting God. The writer of Hebrews uses Abraham's life to help us know God can be trusted. His words and his very being can be trusted. And Abraham was blessed. Abraham was blessed because Abraham got a, an opportunity to be part of God's mission, to be part of God's restoration of the world. But you know who else has been blessed? Other people were blessed because of Abraham's choice, right? Other people after Abraham were blessed. You know who else is blessed? We've been blessed. We are actually blessed because of Abraham's choice. We're blessed because Abraham made a choice, because Abraham trusted God, because Abraham, it says that his, he, his, his faith in God was credited to him as righteousness. He put his faith, his hope in God, and you and I have been blessed. We are, on the, we are the blessing on the other side of Abraham's hope or Abraham's trust. So let me ask you, what is on the other side of your trust? Well, you don't know yet. What is on the other side of your hope? You don't fully know yet. We can go back in time and say, when I've trusted God, I've seen this happen. When I've trusted God, I've seen this happen. But at every juncture of trust, we never fully know what's on the other side of our trust. And so I'm going to ask the team to come up because we want to close with a time of worship this morning. But this applies to you in your everyday life and me in my everyday life. 
That when God leads us or convicts us or guides us or challenges us, sometimes he challenges us in a decision, in a behavioral decision. It says, this way is best. Trust Jesus' authority in how to live this life. We will not know what's on the other side of trust until we trust and act, right? Sometimes it's a, it's a decision around a relationship or a financial purchase or maybe something within your family and you know God's maybe leading you in a certain direction, but you'll never know what's on the other side of trust until you trust, Right? Maybe it's, it's areas where God wants to shape you in or God wants you to learn something or serve in some capacity and, and you'll never know. Like some of these guys who shared about their time in Alpha, they would have never known what was on the other side of saying yes to trusting. And, and, and I wanna, we're in this season right now, in, both in Advent and in our church. We, we've said we're going to have like a singular focus for the next four to six months really around this next phase in, in this new location and I, I want to, this applies to us right now. This applies to, to how, not just what God's going to do in this next step of us moving forward, but what God's going to do in us, what God's going to do through us, and what God's going to do around us. Now, we have this really big challenge ahead, right? This challenge of moving into a new location and this challenge of raising, you know, a, 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 you know an amount of money. We said last week close to $300,000 um, around that. We said the challenge is high, but the opportunity is higher, and God's throne is even higher, right? I mean, that's, that's ultimately true. And, we're, and as we share this vision, I know, I know, I know there's this goal we're trying to reach um, both a goal of being a rooted location that can serve the neighborhood, and then this really this short goal, goal in the next six uh, months or so around that, around raising some funds. It's, but it's, and we know that it's a big goal because it's beyond our regular giving because we need to keep fueling the mission. But let me ask you this question because it's, it's not just about the goal of the project. It's this. What gives us hope that we can even do this? What gives us hope that, that we can put our trust in God? Yeah, we have the data the historical experience, the passion, the leadership, crunching the numbers. But ultimately, moving forward in something like this, is our hope in in the success of the project? Is our hope in the success of fundraising? Is our hope in feeling like we're going to reach 100 more people in the next year? Is our hope in packing out a facility? What's our hope in? See, ultimately, none of that stuff is our hope. Ultimately, our hope in movement forward, our hope in why we even would sacrificially give towards this, must be anchored in something way bigger than any of that. Way bigger than, than people, than leaders, than money, than finances, than the hope of result and success. Our hope is anchored in God, in, in God's very self, and God's very words. And I really hope, and I want to lead us towards this spiritually, because I hope that as you're praying, and I'm praying, and we're asking God to use each of us, there's no doubt in my mind that God's going to stretch me through this, personally, spiritually, and financially. There's no doubt. There's no doubt in my mind God's going to stretch you as, you, as you, you're praying about this and saying, Lord, how would you have me respond? How would you have me act? How would you have me contribute? There's no doubt in my mind that God's going to stretch you because as you discern how you, your role, your responsibility, your contribution, your serving, your donation, it's going to stretch us. But I don't, and I don't know exactly what that means for each and every one of us. I know what it means for my wife and I. But I do know something that is so true. However he instructs us, our hope is not in what we have. 
Our hope is not in our success. Our hope is not in the numbers. Our hope is in him, in what he says, in who he is, in his promise, in his presence. That is the most solid thing. Amen? That is the most solid thing. And that hope drives us forward. Regardless of the season of our church's life, that hope drives us forward. That hope drove us forward when we were a handful of people thinking we could start a church. That hope drives us forward when we would throw events thinking that some people would show up and and be interested. That hope drove us forward when we said, let's start an alpha to make sure people have a pathway towards God. That, That drives us forward when we step out of our box and serve in our capacities. That hope drives us forward and that hope enables us to trust God with our life, with our gifts, with our money, with our time. Because on the other side of that hope, there's blessing. But we don't know. We can't guarantee what that looks like, right? But we just know that God is a God who is on the move and his restoration project continues and we get to be a part of it. That's the blessing. We get to be a part of it. And the other blessing is other people will be blessed. And so five or ten years from now, I'm excited to meet new followers of Jesus that says to us, thank you, Westside, for hoping, having your hope in something solid, five years ago or 10 years ago when we meet these people. I'm excited to meet young adults that either come through our kids' ministry or student ministry or maybe come through a friend and say, thank you for for having a solid hope in Jesus. I hope some kids are going to thank their parents one day and say, thank you, mom and dad, mom or dad, for for, for having your hope in God and showing me what that looks like. Man, some coworkers that will say, thank you for making room for um, for, for my doubts and my questions and my pain. And my, I'm, I get excited around that. And as we plan and pray this week and this month around this, um, I'm just asking God to lead us, to guide us. This is a, a, a spiritual exercise for us. But here's what I do know, and we'll close with this. You can trust what God says. You can trust who God is. Amen? You can trust what God says. You can trust who he is. We're going to take this time and, and worship and just bring ourselves fully to the Lord. The team's going to lead us in this song. And as we're singing, as we're, we're praying, as we're reflecting right now, um, whether, it's, whether, whether the Lord's uh, been stirring your heart around what we just talked about this season of Westside's life or something applies even directly to you right now in your life, just take this time and, and, and dig deep. Really ask this question. Is my hope anchored in something solid? Is it anchored in Him? Is it, what am I building my life on? Let's stand and, and worship together. And I'll lead us in prayer in a moment after that. God, we thank you. You are solid and secure. God, our hope is in your promises, in your presence. Our hope is in what you say, in who you are, God. God, we build our life on that truth. We build our life on you. We are so grateful, God, that our anchor for hope is hooked on to you. God, may you give us wisdom and discernment as we look at the other areas of our lives where maybe we have continued to turn for hope in an ultimate sense. May we see some of those things as good, as practical, as helpful, some even healthy. But ultimately, God, we place our trust in you who you are, God. And we're so grateful, Lord, that we get to do this. And we're grateful that we get to be part of your mission 
and your purposes. And we're grateful, God, that we can move forward, trusting forward because of this hope. God, in Jesus' name we pray. And Lord, over the next week or so, God, as many of us are discerning our role, our participation in this project, God, for us to be a a more rooted and visible and active local church in this area, God. We just, we trust you. We just say we trust you. We surrender ourselves to you. God, our heart is to be faithful to you and to hope in you and to say yes to you when you speak. So God, however you are leading us individually and collectively together, God, may we know because of our hope in you that we can say yes we can trust forward. In Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.